Welcome to the False Neutral, episode 50, the big five zero. I'm Pete Garrett and Eric are both with me today. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, how's it going? Good evening. Well, we've all had some rather eventful things going on, but Garrett, uh, what's been going on in your motorcycle world? I know you've got a uh, a new addition to your garage, at least temporarily. Yeah, I got to satisfy one of my all-time motorcycling bucket list experiences, which was to ride an Aprilia Tuano, um, courtesy of my friend who recently just bought it. This is the same friend, as you guys might remember, that bought an FC09 in September. And when he bought the FC09, uh, it, it wasn't so much a value or a money thing. He just really liked the FC09. And I had talked to him about buying an Aprilia Tuano, and it never really registered to him either what the motorcycle was or even to to look at it. Um, he was just like, Aprilia, what? What's an Aprilia? And so never really even looked at the motorcycle. Well, finally, the other day, I was talking to him about how amazingly cool the Aprilia Tuano is. And so he finally looked it up, and the next day came to me and was like, so it's, the Aprilia Tuano is supposed to be like one of the best super nakeds you can buy. And I'm like, yeah, I've been trying to tell you that for months. <laughs> and it was literally the next day. Um, actually, he surprised it to me. It was in my shop. And he oftentimes parks his FZ09 in my shop, too, because he doesn't have enough room for a lot of his motorcycles that he has. And so he keeps the FZ09 parked in my shop. So he was like, oh, you know, I want to show you what I did to the FZ09. So he moved the FZ09 out, parked the Tuano in my shop, put a, a sheet over it. And so I came in one day. He's like, yeah, I want to show you this new windshield that I bought for the FZ09. He pulls the sheet off, and it's the Aprilia Tuano <laughs> sitting there. And so he left the keys with it and encouraged me to go ride it. So we've just been getting torrential rain over here. So I haven't really had a chance to take it for a, a really good ride. But I did ride it around a little bit the other day. And it is... Everything that I hoped and wished it would be. His motorcycle, he put an Acropovic exhaust on it and a few other little things. But I was riding it through my neighborhood at like six miles an hour. But the the motorcycle in all like really high performance motors, they just idle high anyways. But with the Acropovic exhaust, I mean, it sounds like you're doing everything you can to hold back this immense beast even at low rpms at six miles an hour it just sounds like it wants to do more and so i'm riding it around the neighborhood and i can't help but feel so cool <laughs> riding it <laughs> and it, it's wild it has so much torque um and good thing it has wheelie control because it absolutely needs it there's virtually no RPM or in, no speed where it doesn't want to pick the front end up off the ground. And it just sounds exquisite. I really couldn't get over how impressive of a motorcycle it is. And then the suspension works so well and the brakes work so well. And it really is everything that I hoped it would be. So is this the 1100 RR or the factory? It's the RR, the 1100 RR. The difference being the factories have all in suspension. This has a Saks rear shock, and I think the front fork's made by Marzocchi, but the uh, factory version also has a different rear tailpiece, which his, he had added on to it. 
Um, really similar looking tailpiece, but they are slightly different. Um, so his has a factory tailpiece, the Acropovic exhaust, but no Olin suspension. Yeah. Um, if you're not but, going on the track, you're probably not going to care. No, no. And to be honest, I mean, he, I hurt his feelings a little bit the first time I rode his FCO9 because I told him how awful the suspension was on it. I mean, it just felt <laughs> super springy. I hated it. And I think he was pleased to hear my opinion on the suspension for the Aprilia because it is many magnitudes better than the FC09 as well. It should be. I mean, it's a significantly more expensive motorcycle, but um, everything that I hoped it would be, I really can't say enough about it. So I hope that I get to ride it uh, a little bit more here in the next week or two, but right now we're still just getting hammered with rain. It's just absolutely crazy here in the Northwest. We had the wettest February ever here so yep pete you had a little wind in your backyard (laughs) uh yeah i'm busy picking up all kinds of tornado debris because there was a uh, ef1 tornado that was about 25 yards wide that passed about 25 yards away from our property (laughs) it it was a very close call and uh, it hit quickly enough from when they announced the warning that I had gotten downstairs to turn on the TV and put out the folding chairs in our workshop area. My wife had not made it downstairs yet, and all of a sudden, in an instant, they say it sounds like a train. This one sounded like the world's loudest blow dryer. (laughs) And it hit so... It went from nothing to, holy crap, what's that sound? And what's amazing is this is the second tornado that we have seen from our house in the past two years. Wow. Uh, about two years ago, we were standing out front looking at all the funny clouds, and we're like, wow, those almost look like they're rotating. And we watched a tornado drop out of the sky about a quarter mile north of our property and take out a shopping center, destroy a bunch of cars, and rip the roof off a shopping center about a quarter mile north of us. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to Tornado Alley. So, yeah, we had not quite that, but a little little flavor of that yesterday here. Um, for about six, seven hours, we had sustained winds over 50 miles an hour. Oh. Uh, we have almost a million people in the metro area here without power. Thankfully, ours didn't, which is like. I hear all these people like, oh, I'm like 27 hours without power, and it's not going to be on until Sunday. We're recording this on a Thursday, so three or more days. And I'm like, and here I am with a backup generator, and I'm not using it. Yeah. <laughs> not that I'm complaining at all, but it's just like, yeah, I was like, like the garbage was blowing all the, all the recycling bins were blowing around yesterday. People's garbage cans were blowing all over. It was, it was interesting yesterday. So, not well, quite I'm as bad you- as Pete. Not I'm glad neither one of you are circling the atmosphere right now, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately now need to get an appraisal on new roofing and get some limbs taken out and stuff. So I'm, it's yet something else to get in front of workshop time. But I have to finish the Honda CL125, get the wiring all finished, and get my uh, RC car battery or yeah, my RC car battery hooked up for the turn signals and stuff. Within about the next six weeks, because in Missouri, all motorcycles have licenses that expire in April. So everybody oh, really? has to get their their motorcycles inspected every April, and everybody 
that has inspections just stacks up. So you have to have a motorcycle inspected every year. Oh yeah. Or really? Yep. Wow. I'm glad I don't live in Missouri. Oh, we don't have any inspections out here. uh, Missouri's just of when it comes to motor vehicle licensing and stuff, it's a very, very bizarre place. That's absurd. I think to have a motorcycle inspected every year. I, I, you actually, you can do it every two years because you get a, well, a two year. Are these like safety inspections to yeah. make sure that it's roadworthy? Yep. Yep. It's, uh, seems like a hassle. <laughs> it is. Uh, oh, um, speaking of uh, workshop time, your, uh, motor mounts are done. Yes. Laser cut. Yes. Um, so I just need to drive down to, well, not that you know where, uh, <laughs> Donald uh-huh. Oregon is, but it, I, I need to drive south about an hour oh to grab them. I didn't realize your your parts aren't the only ones that um are are done that I need to pick up. So I need to drive down there, pick up the parts, and then I'll get them sent out to you. Okay, I am very excited to hear that. Yeah, I'm wrestling with a uh, GPZ 305 fairing. My employer is in the process of coming out with a LED rectangular headlight. So oh, really? I'm, I'm kind of thinking about going from around to rectangular for bull sign just because I can, just because it's yeah. the newest cutting edge. Thing. And I'd really like to have a GPZ 305 little bikini fairing to go on there. Cause I don't know if you guys have noted, it's not the same as the 750 and the 550 fairing. It's got a little bit more subtle sculpturing to it. And it's the mm-hmm. only bike they used it on really cool little fairing. And there's a couple of them that somebody has on. Uh, eBay and they want like a hundred bucks plus shipping for them. So I, I offered 75 including shipping on, yeah. I, on a, on a best offer and they turned me down hmm. and I, they came in 20 bucks up and I was like, yeah, considering I have to build the engine buy the ignition, uh, weld the frame. Okay, that's really not the highest priority for right now because I do have like a really nice LED round headlight for it now. So, yeah, yeah. Does but, the company that you work for do round LED headlights already? Or? Yeah, yeah. We we oh, make okay. a, we, we make uh par mm-hmm. fifty six LED replacement okay. headlight, and uh, it's sold very well in the last. I don't know. Is that the only size around headlight that they do? Yeah. Or do they do a six or seven inch? Okay. This is a seven inch. It's a it is a seven inch. Par fifty six, which is the code name for the seven inch round. Oh, okay. So mm. the full size. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. The basically Jeep Miata that size headlight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that, that extra lighting on the front of my bike would look pretty good. <laughs> and, and the nice thing about it is not only is it incredibly bright. But it's about 35 watt equivalent. The yeah. amp draw is really low. Yeah. So that, uh, you can have a pretty weak, uh, charging, charging system or lighting mm-hmm. coil rather and, yeah. uh, actually run it. Plus, if you do, you know, LED turn signals and an LED flasher and LED, uh, yeah. Well, you know, you, you've got no draw at all on those. Kind of the neat thing that I like about LED headlights too is, um, they operate on a range of voltage. And so, you know how sometimes at idle, if you're not putting out a lot of power, your, your headlight 
can kind of dim a little bit if your turn signal's on each time that it pulses. Not a LED, I'm saying like a halogen. Mm-hmm. Right. Headlight can kind of like pulse a little bit with the turn signal because the voltage is lowering every time your turn signal flashes. Well, you know, with an LED, they don't really care about that voltage drop, so they stay the same brightness. So it doesn't. Un- unfortunately, if it drops low enough, they don't go dim. They just go out. So right, but that's <laughs> well. From my experience, that's at like nine, nine to ten volts right. usually, which right. doesn't really happen in a normal. I've, I've experienced that a little bit in that um, couple couple three months ago, the uh, power line on the other side of the street behind some neighbors' houses, um, the transformer popped or something, and uh, uh, we had a bit of a brownout in the area or, or on the street, and so all the canned lights that I have uh, that are LED weren't too bad. Like yeah, they were okay. They, I mean, they were a little dimmer, but not bad. Um, but when you turn when you turn the lights all the way up, okay, you got probably eighty percent of of the light. But the ones that were still CFLs uh, uh, barely lit up. <laughs> it was just it was just the the contrast was amazing. I wish I would have shot a picture of it just to show that just to illustrate the difference between them. Yeah, yeah. The, so I was um, I was watching a video from Baron von Grumble and he was talking about S one thousand RRs and for some reason I'm like okay, just out of curiosity. What do those go for used around here? And like the three that are for sale are like they want more than what they cost new. But as I did a search for BMW, I'm like I saw R1500 or 11, I'm sorry, R1150 something for three grand. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, that's like a cop bike for three thousand yeah. dollars. Like, let me get some some clear and blue LED or some red and blue LEDs. <laughs> right. I'm glad that you posted this uh, Craigslist link to this police bike because this has me thinking about all of these that are for sale that are retired out of uh, police forces. And I've seen tons of them for sale and they're yeah, usually the, pretty inexpensive. It's It's got, yeah, it's got 74,000 miles, but it's a BMW. Who cares? And presumably well, it's an they're well-read BMW. I would, I would, he- I would hesitate to get an air-cooled motorcycle that's got 74,000 miles on it. Well, I would imagine that these are well-maintained. Um, weren't these air and oil cooled? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the this is the I forget what they call this one. R eleven hundred RTP for three thousand bucks. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you can't go wrong. I had my W six fifty. I bought was owned by a. It was a personal bike owned by a motorcycle cop, and I bought it with about. 36,000 miles on it. And it was just ratty. Everything. It just, it <laughs> ran rough. I could never get it to run right. It, it just felt loose. It was just a, and that's the highest mileage motorcycle that I've had. And I ended up, well, it actually got traded in when I bought my spider, but it was, it was something for my wife and we both rode it and, she liked it, but I was like, no, this, this should not run this rough and feel this, this course. I've ridden yeah. these before. They're nicer than this. And I don't know. I, I would hesitate to spend three grand on something with that many miles on it. Well, I'm guessing that it can be purchased for less than three grand. They've already reduced the price, but I'd be curious to see how it did run and ride. Mm hmm. You know, exactly. it's 75,000 that's or 4,000. That's a lot of miles, but I don't know. I'd be curious to see if it like was really worn out or if it's still 
drove halfway decent. Well, I would also yeah. be concerned about the shape of that shaft because I know they have yeah. all kinds of maintenance problems with the with the universal joints in the drive shaft on those. That would be my biggest concern. The uh, the other one I put in the chat for us was um, it's a seventy one BMW R sixty five R sixty slash five for like twenty six hundred bucks, which I think you could get it for less than that because in the ad it says. Uh, he had added a mechanic to get some work done. It wouldn't start, you know, and he still can't get it to start. It'll start off a jump box, blah, blah, blah. No time to mess with it. $2,600. And I'm like, man, for about $2,200, $2,300, you get it. You throw a fresh battery. You throw a set of points at it. You 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 go through the carburetors. And I bet you could turn around and sell it for four grand. That is the kind of bike that I would not be scared about buying, not running, because it's so simple. It's stone simple. I mean, it, that's like 1939 technology right there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's you're not going to find out, oh, it has an $8,000 ECU that needs to be replaced. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. Good, good point. I found a S1000RR, It's but I can't believe it. It's a 2012, and they're asking 145 yeah, for it. They, that, they cost, that's about what they cost new. Yeah. And this is a 2012. I mean, that's yeah. so it's the last generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing around here. They're wanting like stupid money for them. Like, yeah, no. Yeah. And especially, <laughs> the um, they just opened a BMW dealership up here in Vancouver too. So it's not like they're, you know, difficult to get here either. So yeah. Yep. Something else I wanted to talk about. Uh, I was looking the other day at, uh, Power Sports Business, and they had an article about a new dealership that opened. It is the largest, well, they don't even call it a dealership, Motorsports Action Park, which sounds an awful lot like urban sports. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but anyways, it's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's about two hours from me. Uh, It is on 50 acres. It has a... 30-foot mountain and waterfall. I don't know if that's indoor or outdoor. I think it's indoor. A 300-foot video wall, 36 motorcycles suspended from the ceiling, 150-person training center, and I thought this was cool. It has four miles of test tracks on the premises. It's got... uh, Three different one, uh, a 1.3 mile motocross track, a side by side track, and what they call a junior track. Uh, but I thought that was really cool because that's one of the things with dirt bikes is having worked in a dealership, it's really hard to sell dirt bikes when you have to sit there and kind of describe what it's going to be like out. You know, you can't give somebody a test drive with a street bike. They discourage test drive, but if you have somebody that's really a good prospect who's right at the edge of waffling on it, you can say, how about a test drive? Would that, would yeah. that convince you? And usually they're so indebted to you for the test drive that regardless of how it goes, they feel like they need to buy the bike. Yeah. Also, having the test track makes it easier for manufacturers to demo off-road machines right? without having to go to a, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere to actually ride something. So it's, it's good for manufacturers too. I, I think the idea of a big box dealership, although it makes it really difficult for the smaller ones to compete for a consumer, I think is really cool. I mean, it gives you an experience that you wouldn't get other places. It's kind of like a Bass Pro Shops of, you know, of motorcycling. 
Yeah, but if you've ever shopped for a side-by-side or a boat or a motor at Bass Pro Shop, mm-hmm. not the most knowledgeable salespeople right. there. Let me yeah. get the brochure and I'll read that spec to you. Yeah. So I, No, that's true. It, we've come, we have really, really come a long way from where we were with dealerships when, you know, I'm going to go back 40 years ago when I was in high school. You, there were some larger dealerships, but most of them, I mean, there were dealerships in gas stations still, you know, that had yeah. a couple of bikes. They'd take three service bays, uh, rip out all the repair equipment, put down some carpeting and, and put a dozen bikes over there. And that was a dealership. Uh, I, I remember one that uh, is gone now, but it was local. It was the Can-Am dealer back when Can-Am has sold orange dirt bikes. The showroom probably could fit four dirt bikes in a parts counter. That's yeah. what the dealership was. Yeah. And those kinds of days are just gone. Yeah. Well, I grew up with dealerships like that, too. Um, the one that I used to go into as a kid was really small and also how a lot of them were um way back when i feel like the same person that was wrenching on a motorcycle on the back was the same person that came out to the sales floor to you know uh talk to you about a motorcycle and they just kind of were a dual position and there was only two or maybe three people working at a dealership at a time and they've kind of grown into more of like an automotive dealership and then this one especially I mean, it is an automotive dealership that runs a place and they've really kind of taken it to a different level. Now, it's been my experience, the smaller dealerships from when I was younger, they didn't really provide the best service because, you know, the guy had work to do. He needed to repair this motorcycle. And, you know, are you going to buy something or not? Not get out of here. But then on the opposite side, the automotive dealership ones, they have oftentimes pressured salespeople that might not know everything there is to know about a motorcycle. Um, I really kind of like the in-between dealerships where they have dedicated employees, but they're not so large that um, profits are just driven exclusively. So the I, I just pulled it up on Google Maps where this is, and it's right off of I-94 just west of Kalamazoo. I know exactly where this place is because I've been by that multiple hundreds of times just because. And I'm headed to... Fingers crossed, knock on wood, headed to Wisconsin at Elkhart Lake in May for the Mama Spring Rally where we get to drive new production cars on Road America, which is, you know, yeah, it's hard work if you can get it. Um, <laughs> but this is like right on the way. And depending on when depending on when I go, I might be able to do a little field trip there because uh, yeah. it's it's literally on the way. So I, I would be very interested to hear what the experience is like, because it's very interesting reading power sports business and having a friend of mine who I worked for his dad many years ago and he runs one of the larger dealerships here in town. And it is amazing how much effort goes into getting the money out of your pocket when you walk in (laughs) that Mm -hmm. they have, well, like any automotive dealership, they have their script, they have their spiel, they have, no matter what you say, there is some angle to engage you in a sale, whether it's, you know, accessories, parts, service, major units, whatever it is. And I read through Power Sports Business once a month, and it's amazing all the articles that talk about 
all the things that you need to do to maximize your, you know, your service dollars and cut your costs. And nobody gets into this business anymore because they want to help people have fun with motorcycles. It is so dollar driven. Mm -hmm. On the one side, that opens it up to a whole lot of really high pressure, sleazy business practices. On the other hand, there's a little bit more professionalism that comes into it when you've got people who are career salespeople, not, you know, as you said, the guy grease monkey comes out from the back to sell you something. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to visit it. It looks like it's a pretty elaborate structure. I, uh, I was just, as I was reading through that, they had the, their motocross track was built by a company called dream tracks. Never heard of them. So I pull them up on Google so for about ten grand, if you wanted to build a backyard motocross track, they'll do it for you. Yeah. And all things considered, for someone to build you a motocross track for that, yeah, that's not an unreasonable amount of money. Yeah. There's considered. a there's a company here pretty close to me that'll do the same thing. Uh, but yeah. Now, uh, now I just need ten acres so I can do it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was in a uh, couple years ago. Well, probably five, six years ago now, maybe more than that, they put in a skate park. There's a park across the street from us that uh, they put in an all-concrete skate park, and it's actually a really good one. Uh, My niece was into skateboards growing up, and so when she'd come spend the weekend with us, we had to take her out to different skate parks. And when this one opened up within walking distance, she was ecstatic because it's as they go in the city, this is one of the better ones. When they were constructing it, I went over and I started talking to the guys that were from a company that's that's all they do is go around the country and build skate parks. Yeah. And we were talking and into the conversation we got talking about uh I said, you know, you do any any motorsports or power sports stuff and they're like, nah, we really don't get into racetracks or anything like that. And one of the guys says, but that would be really cool to to build a paved motorcycle track like a skate park. And I said, oh, have you ever seen the uh, supermotor track in Pleven, Bulgaria, that's completely concrete paved? He's like, mm-hmm. no. And I sh- I pulled up on my phone pictures of the Pleven track, which if you guys haven't seen it, I'll, f- I'll have to include some pictures in the Hooniverse post so people can go out and see. This is the most insane track in the world. It's built on an old army uh, airfield. Mm-hmm. And it's completely pavement and concrete. And they have huge bowls for the, you know, like 180 degree bowls for the turns that are like berms, but they're concrete. And they have tabletop jumps all paved. I can't imagine wow. how badly you could mess yourself up if you blew <laughs> yeah. a landing and slammed into concrete. It's just. No kidding. It's incredibly dangerous looking, but it's also about the most awesome thing. It's probably not realistic to put that on my bucket list. Yeah. But it's on my bucket list. To yeah. just go not not to race there or to ride there, just to go out watch the races there cuz it's really that cool. Yeah. Another thing that I just recently saw, Yamaha has introduced the Crux Rev. It is a it's a little 110cc bike with drum brakes. The interesting thing about it is it is the first motorcycle specifically designed for Africa. Instead of designing them for Asia and South America and just shipping over whatever 
they had. This is the first one that they sat down and specifically designed for African countries. And it's really kind of interesting. It's got a very heavy-duty rack on the back. It has foot pegs for the driver, but giant metal floorboards for the passenger. So that when you is, ride tandem, you can just hop on real quick and have stable floorboards. And that's because they're used so much in Africa for taxis. Oh, okay. So it just points out that there's a whole other world out there of people that actually use motorcycles because they are the best transportation option for them, not motorsports reasons of I want to go ride something and have the experience yeah. of riding a motorcycle. This is the cheapest way to transport people in very crowded African cities. And I thought it was just kind of a snapshot of, wow, there's a whole other world out there. Yeah. In the U.S., I mean, aside from police, it would be difficult to find a motorcycle or a user of a motorcycle that uses it for like a utilitarian purpose. I mean, almost exclusively motorcycling in the U.S. is recreational. Uh, but I think the only and, thing I can think of is I know some some pizza delivery places that use yeah. scooters that have, you yeah. know, a, a top box on the back of a scooter for pizza delivery. Yeah, but it is almost a non-existent industry in the United States, States, whereas in, you know, places like Africa, I mean, I'm imagining how how expensive gas could be, but also how little money they have, too. Well, so to have a motorcycle like this that probably just goes and goes and goes and goes and you can fit uh, people stuff on the back. I mean, they probably even tow trailers with them and do all sorts of things with the, these motorcycles. The, uh, the article mentions uh, like $900 for it, which yeah, even in Africa, that's still a lot of money, but at least that's probably attainable. Yeah. 900 us dollars. Yes. And, wow. And they also mentioned that they increased the fuel efficiency by 18% over what they yeah. were selling in other markets. So this is probably really slow and really leaned out to get as many miles as possible from a drop of gasoline, which would be really important if you're yeah. trying to make a living. And if you're in the middle of a city somewhere, performance isn't going to be that important. If you've got people hopping on and off that you're, you're doing moto taxi work, saving money is much better than having a little bit more power. Yeah, it's and it looks like it. It doesn't say the the exact capacity, but the gas tank looks quite large. And I know, like my Trail seventy, I can go ninety miles on point seven gallons, which is how much it'll hold. So I'm guessing that this could probably circle the globe on its gas tank for how fuel efficient it might be and how large a gas tank it has. I would love to ride one just to see what the experience is like. Yeah. As I as I said last week, uh, I love looking at Bike India's posts on Facebook because it's all you know 180 cc, 200 cc stuff. Those are those are big full size bikes. You know the yeah. the, the 110 cc are kind of the junior models. These right. are twice as big. I'm surprised to see that they have like an upgraded model though. Um, you know, there's the one with the alloy wheels and the electric start versus the spoked wheels and kickstart version so there must be a a market for you know upselling people in africa that they have the two different versions well if i was going to be riding a motorcycle all day as a taxi i can yeah. see why a tubeless tires and no loosening spokes would be important would be worth the extra money and mm -hmm. an electric start 
kicking starting a motorcycle would get old really quick yes. if that was your job yeah. all day. So absolutely, um, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, as far as uh, when you're talking about power, I bet you they're gear- geared really short, so you know top speed might be sixty miles an hour or whatever. But it's that initial getaway that it's geared for mm-hmm. yeah that that's really what you care about is just getting yeah. away and not away from all the traffic especially if you're routinely having a passenger on the back of it too yep exactly well we probably should uh wrap up for this week thank you gentlemen i appreciate making this sound like an intelligent discussion without <laughs> much help from me most weeks yeah, I don't know what we do to contribute to that, but thank you. <laughs> you drove it to Wano. That's what you contributed. <laughs> well, <doesn't> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get some video of it and entice some of our listeners with it uh, in the next coming weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be me saying, I might work on my motorcycle soon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. So long. <laughs>